Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Father God, we thank you for your Word. Once again, we do thank you for your Spirit. Thank you for allowing us to gather. We thank you for this campus. Thank you, Lord, for just the struggles that you brought us through. And we pray, Lord, that you would that you would bless the youth, Lord, as they leave campus and have a great time of fellowship. May you keep them safe. And then, Lord, we pray that you'll move in a mighty way, Lord, on this campus for those of those for those of us who are still here, whether in this building, the parking lot, little house, or, or even an education building, Father. And so be glorified tonight, we pray, and I pray that I would decrease and you increase in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. So make sure this is working there. Okay. There we go. All right. So we are in Mark, the gospel according to Mark, chapter 14, and we are going to study verses 1 through 9. Verses 1 through 9. And the title of tonight's lesson is, How Much Is Jesus Worth to You? How much is Jesus worth to you? Now, when you have something that is of worth, you cherish it. At least most of us do. In other words, we treasure or we hold that item dear to us. We protect it. We Make sure, in other words, that it's not exposed to any potential danger. And not only do we do that with things that we cherish, with things that are of worth to us, but we also do that with the people who are valuable to us. We cherish them, we protect them, we hold them dear to us. Now, tonight's lesson is actually going to cause us to evaluate Jesus' worth to us. So what is he worth to us? And it's good for us every now and then to step back and evaluate or assess where we are in our walk and in our hearts. And I'm talking spiritually. And so this is one of those lessons where we're going to do some evaluation And ask ourselves, hopefully, that same question, how much is Jesus worth to me? And so we want to start in Mark 14 and begin at verse 1. And there it says, after two days, it was the Passover and the feast of unleavened bread. Other translations say that it was now two days before the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. And now the chief priests and the scribes, these are the, the scholars, the, the lawyers, or those who are experts in the law of Moses, these are the scribes. And what they did was they, they sought how they might take Jesus by trickery and put him to death. Now at this point, some Uh, Scholars say that it was Tuesday evening or Wednesday of Passion Week. Nevertheless, it was two days before the Passover, 
and the feast of unleavened bread. Now, Passover, the scriptures tell us, was observed on the 14th of Nisan, which is the first month of the Jewish sacred calendar. And it corresponds with our March, April. And then the Feast of Unleavened Bread was observed from the 15th through the 21st of Nisan, which again corresponds with our March, April. And now just so you know, or maybe this is a reminder for many of you, the Passover gets its name from the Lord passing over the houses that had the blood of the lamb on the top and sides of the doorframe. And during that time, God did not allow the destroyer to kill the firstborn of those households where that blood of the lamb was applied. Now, this, of course, this death of the firstborn was what we call the 10th plague, the 10th plague in Egypt. For God was in the process of delivering the Israelites out of slavery, out of bondage to the Egyptians. And then these children, it tells us in Exodus of Israel's household, it tells us that, yeah, they were kept safe. And the story goes on, believe in Exodus 12, that after the death of the firstborn in the household of the Egyptians, even in Pharaoh's household, not just of the firstborn of, of their children, but also of their animals, It says that the Pharaoh, that king of Egypt, and the Egyptians, they urged the Israelites to leave. They tried to hurry them out of Egypt because they were like, you guys are going to kill us. We're going to get killed. Get out of here. They didn't even care anymore. And therefore, this Passover that we're talking about at this time, it, it commemorates or is a memorial of the Israelites' deliverance from slavery in Egypt. But now, spiritually speaking, as we, talks about, as, as we talk about types and shadows, it, it also points to Christ as our Passover. You know, even John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus Christ coming near, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so even he recognized him as the Lamb of God. He is the Passover lamb. And so you see these types and shadows of Jesus in the Old Testament. And it's no surprise because in the New Testament, Jesus even said in speaking to the the Jews at that time, believe it's in the gospel according to John. He says that you search the scriptures speaking of the Old Testament, where in them you think you have life, but they are they that testify of me. In other words, he's saying that the scriptures, the the Old Testament, they testify of me. And so we see prophecies about Jesus. We see these types and shadows of Jesus, these things that point towards him and what he would do. But now regarding this feast of unleavened bread, the Lord said that for seven days, the children of Israel must eat unleavened bread. That is bread that does not have yeast in it. And now this bread that was made in a hurry at that time without yeast represented how the Lord brought them out of Egypt in haste. They had to leave quickly. They were to 
be girded and have their sandals on because the Lord was going to deliver them quickly at that time after that 10th plague of the firstborn of, of those in Egypt being killed. And now spiritually speaking, this leaven, this yeast represents sin. And an example of that could be found in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. But now speaking of Jesus with that sin in mind, remember I said that this leaven represents sin. But we're always taught and the scriptures teach that Jesus was sinless. And he is sinless because he's God. Fully God, fully man. So as God, he is perfect. And even in his humanity, he lived a perfect life, was tempted by the devil, but never gave in to that temptation. He remained perfect. He remained sinless. But the scriptures tell us, and this is Jesus himself telling us that he is the bread of life. But Jesus, of course, being the bread of life, did not have any leaven in him. In other words, there were no there was no sin in him. He is our sinless sacrifice. And for those people who wonder where we're getting these things, what, what do you mean by these types and shadows? Or you're going too deep. You're going way out there with the spiritualization of these feasts. Or we're just going by what the scriptures tell us. In Colossians 2, verses 16 and 17, for example, it says, So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival, in other words, a feast or a new moon or Sabbaths. And notice what it says in verse 17, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. So Jesus is the real thing. Jesus is the real thing. The other things, the those sacrifices and the feasts, Passover, unleavened, Feast of Unleavened Bread, and so forth, they're just shadows. And unfortunately, some people are hanging on to the shadows instead of holding on to Jesus, the real thing. The one that all of these shadows, these types pointed to. Even one time during a, during a week, there was somebody who came into the church office and the conversation was going well and all of a sudden, they began to um, spit out words of accusation against our church, saying that because we didn't meet on the Sabbath day, the, the Saturday that we were in sin. And so I, of course, took that person or tried to take them through the scriptures, but that person was in a position in their hearts to be more of the teacher than to listen, but we all need to humble ourselves and understand that we don't know everything. And so if something is being pointed out from the scriptures, from the word of God, we, we may as well be open-minded to what God says. And so this person, they came more, more with an attitude of accusation. But it says here that even the Sabbaths, they, they pointed to Christ. They're shadows of things to come. And Jesus himself, I believe it's in Matthew uh, 11, uh, verse 28, says, Come unto me, all you who labor, all of you who are weary and you're heavy laden. And he says, guess what? And I will give you rest. So Jesus fulfilled the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a shadow of Christ. He fulfilled it for us. Now, there's nothing wrong with literally having a day of rest. 
But to say that there's only a certain day that we rest and worship God doesn't make any sense because God made every day. So if I want to worship him on the Monday, I will. If I want to worship God on the Tuesday, I will. If we want to worship him on the Wednesday night like we're doing right now, we're going to worship him because God is the God of eternity. He is the God of every day. And if we want to worship him on Sunday, a day that he's made, we're going to worship him on that day, even on the Saturday. God has made every day. These Sabbaths, new moons, festivals, they're shadows of things to come. And just to get back to what we're talking about, we're talking mainly in context about the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. But now Matthew uh, chapter 26, verse 3, adds some information here to verse 1 of Mark chapter 14. In Matthew 26, 3, we see the some additions here. It tells us that the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders of the people, they, they actually got together at the palace of the chief priests, and at that time, or the high priest, and at that time, the high priest was Caiaphas, and there they began to plot against Jesus, as it tells us once again in, in Mark 14.1, they plotted against him, and in their plotting, they determined Jesus' sentence before he even had a trial. Because in Mark 14, 1, they said they, they, they sought how they might take him by trickery and put him to death. So already they had it in their mind. They had it in their plan to put Jesus to death. They didn't care about a fair trial. They just wanted to get him out of the way. But there are some people who are even like that today. Because even people today, some people today, they write off Jesus. They write him off as a viable option without giving him a fair trial, so to speak. Without even looking or searching the scriptures to see who this Jesus is. Without listening to a Bible-believing Christian who's sharing the word of God with him or her. Or who's sharing the gospel with him or her. Not even looking into it. More, not even being a Berean to to search the scriptures to to see if those things are true. Not asking questions, not even willing to see themselves as spiritually sick and in need of a physician. The physician, of course, we're talking about is Jesus. See, Jesus even says that that only the people who are sick need a physician. If people don't see themselves as sick, and and of course we're talking about spiritually sick with sin, on our way to hell, if people don't see themselves that way, that we're all sinners who fall short of the standard of God, we fall short of that, of, of his perfection. We all fall short, but if people don't see themselves as that, as that or see themselves as spiritually sick, they'll, they'll write off Jesus. And Jesus, of course, is the only cure that we have for our sin sickness that is killing us. That sin that separates us from God the Father. It's because of our sin. We're on our way to hell without Christ. And God the Father loved the world so much he sent his son. And the son, Jesus Christ, the eternal son, took upon a human body, added humanity to his deity. And died for us as, as I mentioned earlier, that, that sinless, that perfect sacrifice died in our place. 
died for something that we have done, paid the price. He redeemed us. And whenever we talk about redemption, by the way, think of slavery. Because when, when, when we're redeemed as slaves to sin, that means we're purchased out of the slave market to sin. We therefore are set free. And so he purchased us to set us free from bondage to sin. So we won't have to pay the penalty for sin. And the penalty for sin, by the way, is eternal separation from God in the place called hell, which Jesus talked about, that lake of fire. In Greek, it's Gehenna. And so, yes, there are people just like these religious leaders who, even without a trial, they're ready to put Jesus to death. Not even going to see him as a viable option in their lives. But Mark 14, 2 says, but they said, not during the feast. Let's not do, do it during the Passover, lest there be an uproar of the people. Now, check this out. The, the, the uproar of the people was what the religious Jewish leaders were more concerned about. They weren't concerned about what God thought about their plan, how wicked and sinful it was. They were more concerned about the people, about there being this uproar or riot amongst these people who looked up to Jesus, who took him for a prophet. So I wonder if there's somebody out here tonight, maybe viewing, because I know there's people in this world today who will rather please man than God. They're more concerned about what, what people think about them, what, what people think about what they believe, than about what God thinks about what they say and how they're living. So we see that even in these religious leaders here. They had the wrong priorities. And now based on John chapter 12, verses 1 through 12, some Bible teachers believe that what we'll see in verses 3 through 9 in Mark chapter 14 actually occurred on the Saturday before Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And so in verses 3 through 9, in other words, we're going back in time just a few days. And so... Um, and you can look at John 12, verses 1 through 12 for that evidence. And so in Mark 14, 3, it says, And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat or reclined at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard, or pure nard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. Now, Jesus, according to this part of the lesson, as we see in that verse there in verse 3, was in a place called Bethany. Now, again, according to John 12, 1, this occurred six days before the Passover. And so if this event, according to John 12, 1, occurred six days before the Passover, that means it would have, it would have been on Saturday, which was the day before Sunday, of course, when, when Jesus gave his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, because remember, he rolled on the coat of a donkey on that day. And so, again, we, we went back a few days in time here. And again, you can look at John chapter 12 for that evidence. And so it's right there on the wall if you want to take a look at it. Because there it says, then six days 
before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. So there it is, if you want to jot it down. Now, Bethany was located on the east side of the lower eastern slope of the Mount of Olives. Because remember, the Mount of Olives was to the east of Jerusalem. And so if you're sitting on the Mount of Olives, and I think I explained this uh, last week, if you're sitting on the Mount of Olives and you look west, you would have saw the, the Temple Mount. And so to the east, you have the Mount of Olives. And on the Mount of Olives, on the east side or that lower eastern slope, you had Bethany. And it was about two miles east of Jerusalem. And the scriptures tell us that it was the town of Lazarus. Now, if you don't remember Lazarus, he was the man that Jesus raised from the dead. The scriptures also tell us that Lazarus was the brother of Mary and Martha. But here we see that Jesus, his disciples, Lazarus, Martha, and Mary were at the house of Simon the leper for supper. And that's just looking at the scriptures as a whole. So if you want to look at those scriptures and, um, you know, just kind of look at them in order and fill in the blanks, you can look at Matthew chapter 26, verses 6 through 13. And you can also look at John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. And so that's where you get this information. So that's how I'm able to discern that Jesus, his disciples, Lazarus, Martha, and Mary were at the house of a man named Simon. And he was a leper at one point. And they were there for supper. And Jesus, of course, was the guest of honor in this town called Bethany. Now notice that it says Simon the leper. If you all don't know, leprosy was a term for several skin diseases. And you can look at that in Leviticus chapter 13. And now this leper... Being a person with leprosy was actually supposed to be isolated outside of the general population of people. Because being ceremonially unclean, they were not allowed to worship God with the rest of the congregation of Israel. And again, you can see that in Leviticus chapter 13. And guess what? In, in order to warn the oncomers who were coming near them, the leper had to cover their mouth and they were to yell, unclean, unclean, just to warn people to stay away that, that of course, they were unclean. They didn't want to uh, make someone else unceremonially or ceremonially unclean. But Simon, at this point, was most likely already healed of his leprosy. Or else, of course, he probably wouldn't be around these people. And then Mark tells us, in regard to this woman that are in the scriptures here in, in verse 3, because the woman is in name than Mark. But it tells us that she broke an alabaster flask that was full of oil of spikenard, and it says that she poured it on Jesus' head. Now, if you look in our other scripture, or write it down in John twelve three, we find out that it was Mary of Bethany who did this. And again, Mary of Bethany was the sister of Martha, and she was also the sister of Lazarus. Remember the man that Jesus raised from the dead. 
So she is the woman who did what we see in verse 3 of, uh, of Mark chapter 14. Now it also tells us in John chapter 12 that she put the fragrant oil on Jesus' feet and that she wiped his feet with her hair. This alabaster box, what is, what is that? This alabaster flask. Well, first of all, alabaster, it was a mineral or some rock that resembled marble. But of course, it was softer in texture. And so people were very easily able to carve it into statues and jars and these small containers for holding liquids. And they were able to easily carve it into flasks and boxes or even vials for perfume or ointment. So this beautiful flask. And of course, it says that it had oil of spikenard in it. And spikenard, by the way, is an aromatic oil. And it was extracted or they got it from what we, what we would call a perennial herb of the Valerian family. And, and perennial just means that a perennial herb just means that it was a plant that lived more than two years. And so they got this aromatic oil of spikenard from this, from this plant. And it was this name of this plant was called nard. And they actually got it or it was imported from India. And so you can imagine why it was expensive. Now, according to Wycliffe Bible Dictionary, and you all can look this up too, the perfume from this plant was highly prized in ancient times. And it says, but it was rather strong for today's taste. And so that would explain why the house, according to John chapter 12, was filled with the fragrance of that oil. Now, have you ever been around somebody with, I'll say, with too much cologne on? It just makes you sneeze and it just fills the whole house. Eyes get watery and everything. Now, I just did that to myself the other day. Just put way too much cologne on and my poor wife didn't even tell me I had a lot on. Maybe she didn't get that close to me, but it was strong and I was causing myself to sneeze. So you can imagine how, how strong this oil is, this spikenard is. It just filled filled the whole house according to John 12. And then in verses 4 and 5, it says, but there were some who were indignant. They were upset among themselves because remember, she broke that flask and she poured out all of that oil of spikenard upon Jesus. And so they said, why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. Now, 300 denarii was a laborer's wage for almost a year. That's how much somebody would make for almost a whole year. So that's how uh, precious and costly uh, this fragrant oil was from this, from this alabaster flask. And so they were just upset, and they criticized her sharply. They scolded this woman. And according to Matthew chapter 26, verse 8, it says that the disciples criticize her. But then back in John 12, we get a little more specific here about who was the ringleader in criticizing this woman and criticizing Mary. In, in John 12, verses 4 through 6, it says that Judas Iscariot was the main one who complained 
about this oil being, quote unquote, wasted on Jesus. But Jesus said in verse 6, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always. If you're concerned about the poor, you're going to always have them with you. And whenever you wish, you may do them good, but me you do not have always. And so he, he's hinting at the fact, which he's been open with his disciples about, that he's going to die soon. And then, he's, and then he says, she has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. And he says, assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will be told as a memorial to her. So just by what we gather from this lesson, we can see how much Jesus was worth to this woman, whom John 12 12 identified as Mary, Mary of Bethany, sister of Lazarus and, and, and Martha. So we see that he was worth a whole bunch to her. So the question tonight is, how much is Jesus worth to you? How much is Jesus worth to me? Is Jesus worth more than your possessions? He was not worth more than this woman's, than Mary's possessions. Did this costly Oil of spikenard. He wasn't, that wasn't worth more than Jesus. So if your possessions got in between you and Jesus, I wonder tonight, would you allow those possessions to be broken, so to speak, and poured out for Jesus? If your possessions became an idol to you, would you be willing to cast them aside? Would you be willing to do what Mary did here with her possessions? Because you value Jesus more than what you have. Because in reality, whatever we have, we're allowed to have because of God. Whatever blessings we have, we have because of the grace of God. And so if those things got between us and Jesus... And if Jesus is more valuable to us than those things, will we allow them to be broken and poured out for him? And how about this? Is is Jesus worth enough for us to praise him? Is he worth enough for us to worship him? And worship is not just giving of our finances. It's, It's not just lifting up our hands. It's not just bowing down. Worship is whatever we do to give him honor. It could be our lifestyle. So is he worth our praise? Is he worth our worship? Or better yet, would would you allow yourself to be broken like this flask was broken in order to pour out your praise and worship to him, to the one who should be worth more than your pride? Because sometimes our pride can keep us from opening up our mouths and giving praise to the one to whom it's due. Oh, he's worthy of our praise. 
But oh, we become prideful. We become proud and we begin to pat ourselves on the back. Oh, it's just a coincidence. That was going to happen anyway. Why should God get the glory for it? Why should God get the credit for it? Why should he get my praise? Who is God? Some type of me monster? Some people would ask. Why would he want my praise? He is deserving of it. And if we understood how much he's worth to us, then we would have no problem in being broken, being broken of our pride and selfishness and giving him our praise and worship. And how about this? Is he worth our life? Is he worth that much to where we would give him our very lives? He's the one who gives us our very breath. He's the one for those of us who repented and put our faith in him. He has given us eternal life. He's allowed us to be forgiven and to have a relationship with God the Father. So now we are called children of God. We are now sons of God. We are now citizens of heaven. We are heirs and co-heirs with Christ, the scriptures tell us. And so how much is Jesus worth to us? Will we give him our life? Or will we be full of pride and just hold on to our lives because we think we know what's best for us? Because we we think we know what feels good to us. And so we think we know what philosophy fits our lives better. And so we're full of pride and we want to go our own way. Or what we lose our life. Because the scriptures tell us, Jesus said that if we'll lose our lives for his sake, then we'll find it. We'll find true life, not just eternal life, but life the way it's meant to be lived, that abundant life, that victorious life in the spirit. But are we willing to be broken for him? Is he that valuable to us? Like he was to this woman, like he was to to Mary in our lesson tonight. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.15 that he died for all, that those who live should no longer uh, for themselves, should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. He died for all. So we should no longer live to please ourselves, in other words, but for him who gave up all for us. We give up all for him. Now, maybe, and I know a lot of you are, I know a lot of you, you, you're believers and you're walking with the Lord at this time. So praise God for that. But guess what? Those of you who are able to answer yes to this question or who, who are able to say, yes, Jesus is worth more to me than anything in this world. Those of you who are able to say that you've been saying that, guess what? Not everyone will like the aroma of your life of sacrifice. Not everybody liked that aroma in that house. When, when Mary broke that flask and that oil of spikenard was poured upon him and on his feet and she wiped his feet with her hair, oh, people didn't like that. So not everyone will like the aroma of your life of sacrifice, those of you who are living for Christ. See, some people will see what you're doing for the Lord as a waste just like they did with, with Mary in verse 4. They asked, why was this fragrant oil wasted? And people may be asking you that question. Maybe they've asked you that question already. Oh, well, why 
Are you wasting your time going to church? Why are you wasting your time reading the Bible? Why are you wasting your time in prayer? Why are you wasting your time serving at that church? Why are you wasting your time going street witnessing? Why are you wasting your time pouring into the next generation the word of God? People will see that what you're doing for the Lord is a waste. Some people will even be upset and criticize you for that devotion or for your dedication to Jesus, like we saw in our lesson tonight. But I want to encourage you to don't mind those critics. Don't pay attention to those critics. Because the the only thing that should matter to you, as far as what people say or what others say, is what God says about us. Because they... They said that what she did was waste. They criticized her sharply. They scolded her. But this is what Jesus said. Jesus says that she had done a good work for me. So what Jesus says about us is what should matter. And the thing that I like is as the worship team takes the stage, the thing I like is that whatever we do for Christ will not be forgotten. And we can see that truth in verse 9 as it pertains to this woman, as it pertains to Mary. Because he said, assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. And so we see that truth. That whatever we do for Christ will not be forgotten. We see that in that verse, in verse 9. And guess what? That That has come true because every time we go through the gospel, we we tell of this story of this woman who broke this flask and how this oil of spikenard, this costly oil, this very costly oil was poured out upon Jesus, the Savior, the Christ. We tell the story of how Mary anointed his body for burial ahead of time. And in doing that, it showed that she obviously believed what Jesus had been telling his disciples about his death. Because even some of them didn't quite get it. But apparently she got it and anointed his body ahead of time for for burial. And Jesus acknowledged that. It's remembered. And we're telling that story even today. We tell the story of her showing how much she valued the Lord. Through her actions of pouring very costly oil on him. We tell that story. Hebrews 6.10 says this. When it comes to God not forgetting what we have done. It says, for God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love. Which you have shown toward his name. And that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. See, just like how we didn't forget what. This woman, what Mary had done for him in anointing his body for burial ahead of time with this very costly oil of spikenard. Uh, He's not remembering or forgetting what you're doing today. He hasn't forgotten what you've done in the past in Jesus' name. He has not forgotten those times you spent in kids' life or in Sunday school teaching the children. He has not forgotten the time that you, for, that you taught adult Sunday school or you hosted or taught at a home fellowship. He's not forgotten that time when nobody was looking. You were plunging the toilet. You were cleaning the restrooms. You were sweeping and you were vacuuming in the church building. 
He has not forgotten that time that you took that one brother or sister out to lunch and you began to minister to him or her when they were going through that tough divorce. He has not forgotten that time when you saw that parent who was struggling with the children and this is a single parent and you know they hardly get a break but the Lord put it on your heart to take those children and give that mom, to give that single dad a break for a day and you did it in Jesus' name, he has not forgotten and he will not forget it because he is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown toward his name. It tells us in Hebrews 6.10. And so he remembered this woman. He remembered Mary who did this great work for him. This woman, Jesus said, she, she did what she could. She has done what she could in verse 8. My question tonight is, how would we like to be remembered in this life in in eternity? How would we like to be remembered in this life, on this side of heaven, and in eternity? Would we want to be remembered as the, the same way that she was remembered, as a person who have done all they could? She did all she could for Jesus. As a person who has done good work for him, would would we be remembered as that, as a person who's done a good work for Jesus? Will we be remembered as someone who lived like Jesus was worth very little? Or would we be remembered as someone who lived like Jesus was worth more than anything to us? And that's the word for today. Because not everyone is living that way. Some people just living for themselves. And, you know, throughout this season, the past year, you've seen the selfishness of people. I was talking to a neighbor and um, or maybe not a neighbor, maybe, you know, someone else. Um, I think the person was um, actually it was on the phone. She has a disability. And she was telling me how mean people were being. How she has a cane and somebody just pushed her out the way and, you know, pretty much told her get out the way. How people wouldn't hold the door for her and she's in a wheelchair, barely walk. And so we're, we're seeing that some people are living like Jesus means very or is worth very little to them. Is that how we want to be remembered or do we want to be remembered as people who act like Jesus is worth way more than anything? And people can smell that aroma. Or they can see it in our praise. They they can see it in our lifestyle. They can see it by the way we treat people. Are we holding doors open for people who are in a wheelchair coming through the door? Something as simple as that. And so it is a time for evaluation. And our prayer tonight should be to make sure that Jesus is worth more to us than anything. Because we can't even love. Jesus even said we can't love family, wife, mother, father, you know, more than him. It would have to seem as, as, as hate for everybody else. You know, when they see how much we love him. 
And that sounds extreme. But guess what? Jesus, he gave his life. He saw that we were worth it. We were valuable to him. And no, we'll never be able to pay him back. The most we can do is give him that life that he gave to us. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. We pray, Father, that, Lord, if we lost sight, if we lost track, that you get us back to that point where we'll put you back on that pedestal in our lives, that you'll be first, that you'll be number one priority, that, that Lord, you're truly in our hearts and minds, in our praise and worship, in our lifestyle, that you truly, truly be number one, that it will truly show that you're worth more to us than money, than any relationship. And the truth be told, Lord, uh, you know, if we put you in our lives where you ought to be, if we demonstrate in our lives what you're really worth, then we are going to treat your creation better. Those who are made in your image, believers or not believers, will love even our enemies. We'll even serve our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Your word says that you will not forget our work and labor of love, which we have shown toward your name. And that we have ministered to the saints. So you may you bless my brothers and sisters tonight and give them strength, Lord. Bless them with traveling grace. Encourage them and use them in a mighty way this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church, how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.